Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. And today we're joined by a very special guest, journalist, author, Donnie Morrison. I'm very grateful to be here. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to have you on the pod. We just did our Mac Dre episode last week. I loved your book. Desi hasn't read it yet, but she um, loved the book cover. Yes, it's a very pretty book. And I I listened to the episode you guys did. I, I heard you guys talking about debating if I go by Donald or Donnie at the end of the episode. <laughs> this is uh, something that I also labored over. I, I, norm- I normally go by Donnie. Everyone called me Donald Duck in, in middle school. Oh, my God. I know. It was traumatic. So I switched to Donnie. Yeah. And at some point, you know, once I once I became like graduated school and started writing, I was like, I think Donald sounds more official. I'm going to try to keep yeah. a separation. And but now I'm kind of I'm, I'm regretting it. If I write fiction, I'm going to go back to Donnie. I think it's like in the great boy band tradition, you got Donnie Wahlberg, Donnie Wood. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's more it's a better name. Donnie is a better name. It's more unique, actually. Yeah. Donnie signifies like this guy's cool. Like everyone loves Donnie, you know, yeah. everybody loves Donnie. Oh, Donnie. Okay. He's solid. He's like the guy who everyone loves in the wire who gets killed or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it no, fun. not Donnie. <laughs> but Donald is just some like old, old guy basically. Yeah. But I do understand for such like being an author, wanting to use like your formal name. That seems pretty common. Right. Right. Like for authors. I right. Mean, yeah. It, it makes sense in a lot of ways. What what is it like being a real investigative journalist? Um, it's yes, it's nice. It, it's very nice um of you to refer to me as a real investigative journalist. I mean, I, I guess I did the work. I did this one story. Um and so, but this story was like, you know, I had just graduated school when I came upon it and I did it all all myself. And so it's nice to be recognized as that, but I, I don't have any other like real big stories yet. I, I have something else coming out um, maybe early next year, but nice. Um, but it's cool. This is what I've always wanted to do. I, I originally got into like reading and writing um, by reading like true crime stuff about serial killers. I'm from Portland, Oregon. So we're, we're the land of the serial killer up there in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. As I'm sure you guys know. We do. Portland, I believe it was Portland where the Hillside Stranglers, one of them hit out and had that woman bring the latex glove full of cum to the hotel room. <laughs> so Rachel's also an investigator. <laughs> <laughs> she brought it to San Francisco, right? Maybe she did. I thought it was Portland. I thought she brought it to SF, but um, look, it's been a while yeah. since we did that. Episode. You just remember the important detail. The important detail was <laughs> yeah. that a woman drove a latex glove full of cum <laughs> to one of the hillside stranglers so she could he could plant it elsewhere <laughs> anyway. But Keep you Portland weird. Yeah. So were you like a fan of Anne Rule? Yes, I was a little bit of a fan of Anne Rule, but I was really more of just like a, a Wikipedia serial killer 
okay look her up or uh, right i mean it's still to this day like it's my my guilty pleasure is reading these kind of books or watching these kind of shows listening to these kinds of podcasts so um it would be great it it was cool to see the mac dre story come to fruition because it was like my two my two biggest you know the things that i nerd out about the most with bay area rap music and like you know investigative journalism or you know some kind of like reporting research yeah so that leads me to my next question you're born and raised in portland yes right okay so i do know that and we talked about this briefly i think that portland and the bay area like there's a big fan base for bay area rap in portland so is that like I guess it makes sense. It makes sense that you would get into Bay Area rap. I don't know what like the local rap scene is like in Portland, but the Bay seems like the closest regional rap scene. Yes, it's definitely the the closest regional rap scene. I've never actually put it like, you know, seen it uh, said like that, but that that is true. I mean, all the record stores in Portland had like a Bay Area mixtape section when I was growing up, like second. Oh, Avenue wow. Records. Um, my first concert ever was Andre Nicotina and and the Mob Figures. Oh my god! At, at the Roseland Theater, I think I was like fourteen. I mean, okay, so you said this is like your first investigative journalism thing, but what a huge explosive case for this to be your first. Yeah, to work yeah. on. You, yeah, it's crazy. You said that you poured over like 1200 pages of police reports and files and photographs. Yeah, what? easily. And what was I mean, that like? And the craziest aspect of it is anybody could have really done this. I mean, at the end of the day, it was me that did it. And that's like special. And it makes sense in a way because I've always been into this kind of stuff. Um, but it started out with just an email to the Kansas City Police Department. Um, very simple just asking for all the documents related to the murder of Andre Hicks. And I think it's important to be really specific in these records requests. Uh, You know, there's formats. You can just Google this basically and and figure this out. Um, So I listed like where the shooting took place, everything, all the info that I could figure out. And they got back to me in like three weeks and said it was going to be $114 for the, for, for all the, the pages. They didn't tell me how many pages it was. Um, and at the time, that doesn't seem like that much money now, <laughs> considering what the story's done for me. Um, but at the time, I, I was literally like, I don't know, maybe I'll try to like pay 50 and get like half of the documents. Because <laughs> wow. I, had, I had just imagined that they would all be redacted because it was still an open case. I thought they right. were just basically trying to make me give them $114 for like a bunch of bullshit. Right. Because you have to like how you can't imagine that. I could never have imagined that they gave me what they gave me. They were unredacted. Everything. There was not a single redaction in it. There were autopsy photos. I mean, drawings of the crime scene, complete transcripts. Someone typed up transcripts of of like hundreds of interviews. Wow. Um, It's it's really crazy. And I actually have a theory that they gave them to me on accident. Um, (laughs) Because you know how stupid cops are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think they might have. And my biggest uh, piece of evidence for this is numerous journalists have reached out to me, YouTubers saying asking for the documents, saying mm-hmm. that they've reached out and they can't get them. 
they're refusing to give them out now. And I had this somewhat creepy call. I wish I kept, I wish I somehow kept it. Um, but it was a call from a Kansas city. It said it was a Kansas city police officer. And this was after I already received the documents. And he was like, we have these documents. They're going to be like several thousand dollars if you want to like go through with getting these. And I was like, uh, sir, I already, you guys already sent them to me for $115. What a scammer. It was very strange. And his response was just like, well, if you want them, you can let us know. It's going to be several thousand dollars. And then we like hung up. Yeah, bitch, Um, I already have them. I do not want them. (laughs) I don't want them, in fact. It's like, I want them back or something. (laughs) I think Desi has a question. I was curious um, about the fact that anyone can request documents like this. Like how, I mean, now you're saying that this may have been a mistake, that maybe you weren't supposed to get this stuff. But can I like just call a police station and request documents on any case like how does that work you can't call a police station it doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could maybe you could you could really lay it on thick and, and yeah to... so it's like a formal email request type deal it's like it's one it's formal. like a f f o i a like yeah, a freedom FOIA. of information right but exactly. but whatever the process is but they anyone can request more... this Yes, exactly. Anyone can do it. Um, that's that's our right uh, as Americans, basically. Uh, but but it, might it, really, it might be redacted. It might be redacted. They make it really difficult with fees, and also it it, it all matters. Like it matters where you are. Right. Um, every like state has different like records laws. Got it. Um, famously, Florida has really they have the sunshine the sunshine mm-hmm. act. It's really lenient there. That's why we get all these stories about Florida men because they have access to all the, the police reports. Um, right. 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 Um, but Oregon, where I'm from, it's known as one of like the, the hardest places to get documents. Um, oh, wow. They ratchet up the fees. They, they don't get back to you in the 14 days that they're supposed to get back to you. Um, and so oftentimes like, like I'll be, no offense to to Jeff Weiss or Passion of the Weiss. They published the piece. He's one of my best friends, but he was only able to pay me $100 for the story. And the, the document right. cost $114. So I'm like, this 14 is for the love more. of the game. This is for the love of the game. And if we're talking about investigative journalism, the, the kind of journalism that, you know, that we need, it, it costs money to get these documents. And that's why only the biggest publications can, can do these like big knockout investigative pieces. Right. Um, and why the Mac Dre story is so special. Um, it was it was all just a labor of love, basically. Um, and one thing I'm curious about too is I mean, you said that it just came together for you kind of, but I wonder why other people weren't trying to break this story or um look into it more. Do you think people started to do it after you did it? Like it's a great question. Um, and it's one that I've often asked myself. I think the the best thing that I could find on the Mac Dre investigation before my story was a Reddit post was a very well detailed Reddit post from just some guy on Reddit. Um, I reached out to him and sent him my story afterwards. Um, But he, he had like combed the internet and found a bunch of articles and like theories. And and the main theory that was floating around was um, that Mac Dre was killed by fat tone. The right, rapper who was ultimately killed. I mean, um, we had all heard that. 
That's what I thought too. That's what I assumed. I mean, that's as that's as far as the story went on, right. on blogs or or anything. Um, and it sounds like after my story published, there's a lot of people who reached out to me from Kansas City and the Bay wow. Area that were like, "We've are everybody's already known this um, here, so it's nice to see it out there." Or like, "You got a few, you got a few things right, but you're also getting a few things wrong." Um, yeah. A lot of these these style of messages, um, right? So I think it's like it was a a secret that the the streets knew that people close to it kind of knew, but the fans, like people like you and I, I mean, it was a, a huge huge mystery and something that I thought about a lot. Yeah. And so it is a little crazy that it took fifteen years for someone to to get the the documents or to do the request. Um, I I don't yeah. know if people had tried to get them before. I've never heard. No one's ever told me about it. Um, but it's also like hip hop has been, uh, you know, the hip hop culture has been extremely uh, under undercovered. Yeah, only been maybe the past five years that it's been taken more seriously, and it's still not even now taken that seriously. The hip hop news you see now is like. You know, Megan's the stallion nip slip in the new video or something like that. Right, right, right. Um, so it's not totally implausible that just nobody was looking into it. You know, just people, the right people didn't give a shit. Uh, and when I say the right people, I just mean people who run publications. Right. right. I mean, and it is his story is such a fascinating, interesting story. There's so many different elements to it. There's the whole, um, I mean, just the the bank robbery story and his imprisonment is like it's fascinating i had known about that very loosely and just very vaguely about him going to prison and something about like a bank robbery and i knew like oh it wasn't completely fair but i didn't know like the the level of details until your book which is why it's so incredible that you had all these people in Mac Dre's life who knew him, who were able to fill in those blanks for you. What was that like talking to these people who were so close to him? Well, that's the thing. This is the thing. I, there, There is some slight controversy surrounding the book. Not like huge controversy, but um, oh, fuck it, whatever. We, so the book, I came in on the book a little bit late. Mm-hmm. It had originally been given to another author, just a guy that I don't know, but he had, I had heard from the publishers exact, probably like about a year ago in November. Um, and they were like, we had commissioned this like Mac Wanda approved Mac Dre autobiography and this other guy was going to write it, but now he's not in the picture. Um, and he's not accepting edits. He turned in a draft that we didn't really like. Um, and so they hired me originally to ghostwrite it, <clears throat> to ghostwrite the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I started working on it, I realized that I guess the other guy didn't really write anything that was too usable. I mean, oh. maybe, maybe like a little bit. So I, I ended up rewriting the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I thought they would at least give him a little bit of a credit on the book because he did the interviews. Oh. He did most of the interviews. I talked to Mac Wanda, um, but he actually did the interviews with Kilo Kurt. Um, and th- that was very, very good work. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm really appreciative. I mean, this book is the only book that has that information for the true Mac Dre heads. Right. 
Um, so I have to shout out to him for talking to those people. Um, and one of the biggest things lacking in my article were Bay Area voices. Um, right. Nobody would really talk to me from the Bay Area when I was writing um, that story about his murder. Uh, rightfully so. I was just some kid from Portland for a yeah. small, small California hip hop blog. <laughs> right, poking, right. Poking around about these murders like they didn't know what I had. Um, but since the story has been published, uh, I've gotten to know Mac, Mac Wanda and, and was able to, you know, do this book, this project with her, the book. Um, uh, and so, so yeah, it's been really special. Uh, the, the coolest thing to come out of this book is, is getting, you know, to talk with Mac Wanda and, and being able to, um, get to know Nicotina a little bit. And oh, the dream. Really- yeah, delve into like Mac Dre's life and and learn about the things that I didn't get to learn about really um just going into the article and everything. So I'm I'm curious, was this book deal created based on your article or did they do you know what I mean? Like because it's well, weird to me that they didn't ask you. <laughs> yeah, they didn't let me include anything about the murder in the book. Yeah, I it's a, little, yeah. it's a little crazy. I mean, I don't really consider this the definitive Mac Dre project. I mean, this is just a, a peek into a very weird, weird world of when rappers are paying for other rappers' autobiographies. Um, it's not really like I edited this book myself as well. Oh, wow. I and edited it all in about three months. Um First, under the guise that it was going to be, I was going to be a ghostwriter, which right. actually freed me up a little bit. It made me so I could just write it a little bit quicker, which is a, right. good, um, a writing tip that I've learned, I suppose. But this has been somewhat of a fraught, <laughs> a fraught <laughs> project. Uh, not exactly my dream come true, Mac Dre project, but it has gotten me closer with people in the Bay Area. And I do want to tell his full story, either with the documentary or a podcast. Um, wow. it, hasn't, it hasn't been told yet. Um, and so getting closer. I mean, and there was a lot of info in here that I didn't know. And I assume most Mac Dre fans didn't know about him who didn't well, know him personally, well, like his early life. It's still an awesome book. It's still an awesome book. I don't want to say anything bad about it. Um, it's just not, it's just, it is what it is. So you would say like the book is about his life. But then the article delves more into the crime or or, or his murder. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got um, it. And I think to tell the full story, you need to kind of tell both. Yeah. As hard as it is. Um, and so, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to try to do in the future. Um, and I have something, something hopefully to announce soon. I mean, I've, a couple different times a, a documentary has almost gotten off the ground and, wow. then, and then kind of crashes into the dirt. Um, you guys probably know how these things yeah. go. <laughs> oh, hard, yeah, we do. Hard to get shit made. Um, yeah. One thing I was curious um, about with the book was the um, sort of the title, A Crime That Was yeah, Never so, Committed. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, True Mac Dre Heads Will Know, this is a, a short lyric from one of his best songs, Life's a Bitch. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Okay, he, got it. He's of really course. delving into, he's like, they... They put me in prison five years for a crime I never committed. Got it. Being a bank robber, but then five years had me thinking maybe I should have did it, is what he says in the song. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, again, 
I can't even remember if I picked the title or not. Uh, <laughs> but a crime that was never committed. Yes, it refers to the bank robbery, um, and and him not committing that that specific. Right, movie. and that makes more sense now that I know that the murder isn't really in the book. It's not. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's obviously. Not reference right uh, but, but it's it, not in detail the detail at least that i used for the episode was from donnie's article. 2021 article right. which is very in-depth and i didn't even scratch the surface of that like yeah. there's obviously way more detail in his article um which everyone should read so how did you get into mac dre i like we touched on that there's a lot of people in portland who like bay area music how did you discover Mac Dre? Did you discover Andre Nicotina first and then Mac Dre? I'll be real with you. I, I've just been a huge hip hop head my whole life. Um, basically my like fourth grade yearbook photo. I'm, I have like bleached blonde hair, buzz cut, <laughs> bleached blonde hair, like Eminem. Yes. I'm wearing, I'm wearing like a South Park t-shirt. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I looked like a monster. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've always been into rap. Uh, I can't, I think the first time I ever heard about Mac Dre was in, I got, I got kicked out of high school. <laughs> I got kicked out of high school for, for possession of heroin. Okay. Um, well, we're high school dropouts too. I got kicked out for truancy. Oh <laughs> yes, yes. I had a little bit of truancy on my record as well. Um, I'm in recovery. I've been uh, sober from, from heroin and meth. And alcohol and, and everything since uh august 23rd 2014 hell yeah um, when i was 23 but yeah I, I was in um juvie uh donald e long institute in portland um it's like the named juvie. after you yes named after me shout out to, to del um <laughs> i met this guy named nick in there uh who who ended up he was like an he was like an og in the in the youth jail and he loved mac dre I mean, in a way that you're probably familiar with being from the Bay. Yeah. Just, you know, you know, know. who love Mac Dre. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, obsessed with him. I mean, I became one of them. Right. I think I got into him in high school as well in the early 2000s. And I had always loved Bay Area rap. I always loved E40, um, Absolutely. like Andre Nicotina. But I had a my high school sweetheart who was also in juvie uh, for part of our senior year. Um, we had, it was around the time of those free Yayo shirts. So we had, we made shirts with Sharpie that said free and his name name on them (laughs) just to give you a time and place. That's Um, amazing. I can't believe you shouted out the free Yayo shirts. Yeah. Eminem wore free Yayo during his um, like, was it the Oscar acceptance speech for eight mile? I think so. (laughs) It it was a major award show. Free Yayo. Yeah. Yeah. So So, yeah, definitely early two thousands moment in time. Um, (laughs) But, but I had Nicotina do... first, definitely. Hmm? I was a Nicotina fan first before Mac Dre, weirdly enough. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was kind of like, I feel like it happened at the same time for me, but I definitely, sure. I think I was more like familiar with like the extensive like Andre Nicotina catalog. And um, I do remember the day that Mac Dre died. I remember where I was. I was driving in my car on Lincoln Avenue in San Rafael and it was like, came on KML jams, which is our, you referenced it in the book. It's, it was our local, one of two of our local hip hop 
and R&B stations. Um, and then to see in the subsequent years how much Mac Dre, like his popularity has grown and expanded is like pretty incredible. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's it's an unfortunate truth that it's one of those cases where he became he became really popular and kind of left the regional bubble after he was killed. Right. I would say that's when he 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 got, you know, as a much larger fan base. Um, yeah. which is the, oftentimes the case uh but to see his cult his cult status grow in the past two decades has been yeah it's been really amazing um and so many so many people say that if Mac Dre were around today he'd be bigger than Snoop Dogg this is this is something that people in the bay area that I've talked to love to say i've heard many people say this exact line um and i'm i'm inclined to agree i think he he was so charismatic in front of the camera he he would have really taken to to social media and then that yeah. style of like self-branding. Um, and so it's, it's just a major, it's a major loss for the whole Bay area community. Um, you, you talk to people there and I can just tell by how much you, you like this story and how much you've wanted to to do this podcast. It's like Mac Dre means a lot to people um, in the Bay area. Yeah. I mean, we have like large murals of Mac Dre. He is like such an iconic figure just as much as, um, you know, Jerry Garcia and any of the rock bands from the 60s and 70s. It's like we have these hip hop icon icons as well. And Mac Dre being like one of the most iconic of the Bay yeah. Area. Yeah, easily. Um, I, I always get I get so annoyed when people from California haven't heard of Mac Dre. Have you, you got to know your history? You got to know your California history. It's very important. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I'm I'm in New York now, just just spreading the the good word of Mac Dre. <laughs> it's funny how like regional he is. It's like you can there's literally murals of him there, but like someone someone from over here could very feasibly have never never heard of him. And and everyone that I show, like I usually start with like not my job. Yeah, uh, yeah. What what are the Mac Dre songs you you ease people into? I'll have to like send you. I made. I made like a definitive 40 song like Mac Dre playlist that I worked on for a long time for Passion Weiss with the article that I nice. can send you. Um send it. I'll usually play I'll usually play Not My Job. Um That's What's Up. I really I like love that That's What's Up. Um I mean the Thizzle Dance is always a good one. Uh since since ninety-four. Since ninety-four is a classic. Um this is my favorite Mac Dre era. You know, I don't, I, I like his like 2000s, you know, post prison stuff. This is the stuff that I like, you know, really connect with on a, you know, nostalgic tip. Yeah. Um, because it's like, it's been years. Honestly, since I've written the story, I've listened to more Mac Dre than I had probably in like 10 years before. Right. Cause it's just, you know, I, I got into different kind of music and, but it's like the music that you listen to when you're in high school. Oh. Yeah. Most people's music discovery stops right then. And I understand why it's like you have such a connection to to that time. I mean, we joke about this all the time on the podcast, like when the strike was going on and we had to figure out for our mini episodes, like <laughs> we can't talk about what TV shows and movies we're watching. So we were like, OK, well, we'll talk about what music we're listening to. And every week it was something like so fucking old it would be one of us would be like well i listened to terrence trent darby or, <laughs> or i listened to uh 
Jody Watley. Like it would be some old ass fucking song, like even stuff that was like way before our high school times. Yeah. Because like both of us, like I'm just not I'm like personally, I'm like very out of the loop on current music. But there definitely was a time where I was like, uh, you know, I, I was like a hip hop head and like listening to a lot of underground hip hop and like always knowing like who the new artists were. And like, obviously, the Bay Area, like peak hyphy era, I knew every single new Bay Area song that was coming out and um, whatever. And I know Desi is a huge been a huge music fan her whole life, too. But both of us are like, yeah, we're just so overwhelmed <laughs> because, OK, it's overwhelming. This brings me to kind of tangentially my next point, just that there is like such a easy like it's so much music is so much more accessible now in a way that it wasn't when we were kids where mm-hmm. you had to like physically take a chance on like physical media and buy it. And maybe like the only song that was good was like the single. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I miss those days, though. I do miss those days or like buying an album based off the cover. Right, because there was a ritual of going to the record store and like picking things out. And there was just, there was like a, I think the word is monoculture. There was a monoculture where it's like everyone was listening to the same thing in a way, you know, there's a couple different albums that maybe came out. We could all go and talk about the same record. Right. That was my 1899 at Sam Goody's. To yeah. go, <laughs> it, it took effort to go there and get the album. Like, you yeah, I want to do it. And, and now it's just like everyone's in their own world being fed the the same garbage uh yeah. Spotify algorithms. I mean, I don't know, it's hard to complain. I, I can listen to any song that I want uh through my Spotify app. Yeah, like, there's good things and bad things about it for sure. Um so I was wondering to myself last week, it we don't have, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't feel like we have regional rap music the way we did when I was growing up and in the 90s and 80s, where it was like there's a definitive New York sound. There's a Midwest chopper sound, you know, Tech Nine, Bone Thugs. Yes. And there's a high feast. There's the Bay Area sound. There's the G Funk sound from Southern California, whatever. And the Southern, like... And the Southern sound, of course. Um, UGK and um, Outkast. But it doesn't... Do you think it's because we're so connected now through the internet and through social media that we don't have these, like, distinctive regional rap sounds anymore? Well, I would... we even have that still? I would push back. more than I do right now. I think think the the best rap music that's coming out today um is is regional is regional i think it's the future i think it's the future of hip-hop as well um i think yeah like the the charts the mainstream rap music has kind of been nationalized in this way right everything kind of sounds the same um and you can trace its origins and, and get really nerdy about it but i do know what you guys are saying but um i write a column for passion wise it's called the wrap up it's every other week and it's like basically I, I cover five rap songs that have came out in the past two weeks mm. Mm. Um, and I basically only have been writing about music from Detroit or Flint Michigan there's mm. a huge scene in Flint Michigan right now it's very regional they have their own sound their own way of recording music videos um, the other big place right now is Milwaukee Wisconsin 
Oh, interesting. Huge, huge scene. There, there's like this huge house show circuit. Artists like AOE are are really making, you know, incredible regional music. Um, AOE certified tra- trapper. Uh, the, these are guys who, who are putting Wisconsin on the map in this way. So I think, yeah, you know, regional music does, it, it exists. These scenes do exist. Um, and I think that's where the best music is, is coming out of. So it's um, more of the indie. As as the band, it still it's exists. It still exists in the indie sense, but not on the national we're level indie. as it once did. Right. Um, but LA music still sounds like LA. Yeah, yeah. yeah LA, LA hip hop still sounds like LA. Not that it's any good these days. Like, there's no. Yeah. <laughs> Ever since Draco died, on it hasn't been the same. Like, I don't really. My my Instagram name is the last known Taiga fan. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> obviously, I won't say anything bad about him. He, he's the greatest rapper who's ever, who's ever lived. Wow. <laughs> Aside from Mac Dre, uh, but I say this very, very tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, anyways. I wanted to go back to the crime for a second. Uh, I know you mentioned you had seen like whatever the theories, um, or you had been hearing the theories from people on the street in Kansas City, and then there was the Reddit thread, thread, and people were sort of saying something different than Fat Tone, who I'm like obsessed with that name because it's very Sopranos to me. <laughs> That town is such an awesome name. I love it. I was curious if you've come across like any uh, other theories that maybe are a little more wild and completely untrue, but interesting uh, nonetheless, or has it been pretty much those two main guys as suspects? No, there are plenty of theories. And that's what makes the story so interesting is, is, you know, I don't think it might be one of those scenarios where like the truth will never be known. Right so many different puzzle pieces um but it's also one of those scenarios where you know i was telling you guys earlier i i did this story all on my own with like no resources um and i was able to talk to sabino davila who was in texas the texas prison and he was able to basically break it open for me um but what I was trying to say is, yes, I did this with no resources. I think that there's more reporting to be done. You yeah. Know, I was telling you guys I want to do a documentary. I, I want to yeah. like go to Kansas City and talk to people. But what makes this story so interesting is is the mystery around it, is all the different theories. So one of the biggest theories, obviously, was that Mac Dre disrespected Fat Tone at a show two nights before Halloween. Um, he wouldn't let him on stage, allegedly. Wouldn't let him on stage. Um, there's there's rumors that Fat Tone recorded a song where there was a line where he said, I killed the Thizzle Man. Um, this is, this is I remember hearing this when I was younger. And to this day, I cannot find that. I haven't talked to a single person who can find that ever being recorded. Um, the, the theory that I put forth is the, the concert promoter theory. Mm. Um, which is Damon Whitmill, first-time concert reporter, invited Yuckmouth, Keek to Sneak, and Mac Dre to a very poorly planned show Halloween weekend. Um, it didn't go as planned. This is very abridged, by the way. It didn't go yeah. as planned. Mac Dre like brought a bunch of his friends on stage and got the show shut down. Um, he showed up late, and the concert promoter felt disrespected and hired a couple of 51st Street Crips in Kansas City to to shoot him on on halloween night right uh, 
And so there's a lot of questions that arise from this. One of the ones that kind of still haunts me is like, why would a concert promoter who just lost a bunch of money then spend another? I think he, I think he lost maybe seven or eight thousand dollars, and so now he's going to go spend another ten thousand to like kill someone. It, do, it almost doesn't really add up, right? Yeah, fully. Um, and then so people say that Mac Dre was, you know, per, I've heard theories that he was selling ecstasy that this was like a drug deal gone wrong. I've heard theories that he had girls in Kansas city that he was pimping out or at the very least girls that he was sleeping with. And that there might've been a problem there and and somebody killed him over that. I put forth the theory in the article that I don't think he was selling drugs or, or pimping girls. I think if you listen to his music and his post prison, like interviews, I think he hung out with people who did illegal things obviously. Um, but I think he was trying to be, I think he was trying to stay out of prison and get everything into music and like not fuck up, you know, this moment he had. So I kind of don't buy that this was like an ecstasy deal gone wrong or like a dispute over a girl, but it wouldn't be fully implausible. I have to acknowledge that, you know, there's, there's definitely, I can kind of feel instinctively that there's a little piece missing, but I don't don't know everything and that, you know, it, yeah, it, it keeps me up at night. Honestly, there's, there's just questions out there. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I have had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. 
All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. What would be your next steps as far as doing more research like what else can you explore yeah there's two frontiers here um there's really talking to people in kansas city going there and like digging in seeing what people know um sabino davila who has now been released he got a compassionate release from prison um due to due to covid19 in, in 2022 i believe i'd love to track him down he is not fucking with me since the story dropped. Whoa, really? <laughs> no, I mean, I can understand it. Uh, you know, he he is the person whose van, he owned the van that Mac Dre was sleeping in when he was killed. And it was his cousin, Harold Piercy, who was driving the van. Okay. Um, who's a victim in his own right. He didn't get shot, uh, weirdly. 31 bullets and they all went right into the back of the van when Mac Dre was sleeping. None right. hit the road where he was driving. How did the shooters know he was in the back? The yeah. Van? And so Sabino at the time was a, a huge Coke dealer. Um, prosecutors say that he was like the cocaine kingpin of Kansas City from 2000 to 2006. And this happened in 2004. And so eventually when he went to prison for the drug trafficking conspiracy, he went to the detectives and said, I have information about the Mac Dre killing that I could maybe use to get, you know, a lesser prison sentence. And he went and talked to the detectives and gave them this whole story, this very crazy, almost unbelievable story. Um, And at the last second, according to him, he decided that he couldn't like live with being a snitch. Right. Recanted everything. But the transcript was still in the documents that I got. I was able to reach out to, this is one of the craziest, this is some investigative journalism shit. (laughs) I I found his sister's nail salon's Facebook business. Oh my God. And I reached out to her through there and got her on the phone, convinced her to talk to Savino, who put me on the list um, as someone he can call. Wow. Uh, from prison. And so I talked to him for about eight months, um, not letting him know that I had, I had like the story. I had the transcript right, of him, of him saying, and what he said in the transcript, this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but what he said in the transcript was that he actually witnessed the shooting. <gasps> he had, fo- he was following behind the van in his own car. And mind you, this is a van carrying his good friend, Mac Dre, and his cousin, Harold yeah. Pierce. And it's his van. He owns it. He says he sees the, the Black Infinity pull up and shoot, you know, shoot into the car. And then he sees the van crash into a ditch. And at this point, he tells police he got off the freeway and went home and went to sleep. <gasps> right after seeing <laughs> this happen. Um, and that's something that is just like, I don't believe that. And my assessment of this whole thing is he was trying to tell the police ha- a half truth to get yeah. himself 
trouble without implementing without implementing himself in anything right yeah he he was just like yeah and then i got off the freeway and went home and went to sleep i mean we all react to trauma in different ways (laughs) yes that's true that's true and so i kind of press him on this i eventually like i come with him with what i have and he goes he's just like i can't really say anything what you yeah. what you're saying is partially true but partially wrong. This is what mm. you're saying to me. Um, I don't believe he was there that night. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is it a possibility that whatever it was, a hit was actually on him and not Mac Dre? If it was his van, that's yeah. That's a that's a good theory. Um, that's not one that I've even thought about too too much. But I could tell talking to him that he feels bad about what happened well it, he he was they were friends they were friends been yeah. friends for a while yeah it was so hard interviewing someone over the prison phone too because the phone calls only last 15 minutes right and he could call me back but it, you have to imagine when you're talking about something this intense like it yeah. takes like 30 minutes just to like build warm up, up a, warm up so the momentum gets yeah. killed yeah the yeah momentum would get killed and he he wrote me an email because you can email um, with people in there too. After the story came out where he was like, my family read me the story. We all really liked it until the part at the end <laughs> where, oh. where you're breaking this stuff down. And um, I've reached out to him and his family. I've tried to talk to them and uh, um, they, they haven't returned any of my requests since then, um, which is fair. You know, why talk to a journalist and reopen these wounds? Right. Um, but, but well, I really also feel they might be scared. And... Right. Exactly. This is, uh, this is something that, you know, the, the Kansas city police department told me, um, that they wouldn't talk to me, obviously. Um, right. That, that I had documents, whatever, but I got the, the lead detective's name, Everett Babcock. I got his phone number from the documents. His cell phone number was in there. And Holy it, it remained shit. the same all these years later. And this was the guy from, he was on the first 48. He's like yeah. a celebrity detective. <laughs> he was like that dude from the Kansas City episodes. If you remember this, this white haired ass guy. Yeah. Um, but I called him and he answered and he was like, yeah, obviously I can't say anything. Um, and then, you know, this like made the the hair on my arm stand up. He was like, he was like, but you have the documents. You know what happened if you have the documents. Wow. And yeah, this is like a, a kicker for the very first section of the story. That's how I, I end that first section. Because um, it's just like, oh, yeah, no, sorry. I almost forgot what I was going to say about all of this. Yeah, he also told me on the phone where he was like, yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to talk about it because there's still people that could be affected by this. Yeah. Wait, Which my, the cop my, said that? Yeah, the detective said that to me as one reason why he wasn't um, allowed to talk because the case was still open and there's still people out there. Yeah. It could yeah. be affected by this. This this could be some cop bullshit or it could be true. Right. Um, but because Damon Whitmill, the the concert promoter who I claim of or who I who I think ordered the hit, um, he's he's like a ghost. He's still out there. He has virtually no criminal record which is very rare for anyone in this story. Everyone in this story has a criminal record um, of some sort. He doesn't really have any. Um, The closest I got to him was talking to his um, child support attorney 
Oh wow. Yes. He really got in there. I tried to get in there and I tried to get him to pass me, pass him questions. And I was like, can I, can, you know, can you reach out to him? He was like, no, I haven't talked to him. And I was like, can I email you some questions that you could send him? And he was like, I don't have an email. What? <laughs> this is, wow. This is what the attorney said to me. And at this point I was like, okay, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to talk to anyone. He doesn't want to talk to anyone. And, but he's interesting. I mean, there's no, I don't really have many details about him or his right. life, what he's done. Uh, so that's another big, it's a big mystery in this case. And if he is someone who's like a shot caller, someone who's like big, big and again, someone who orders $10,000 hits on, on rappers and he doesn't have a criminal record, Maybe he's really this big dude who has influence and power, enough power to like hurt people over this 16 year old drama. This is something that I don't think is true. Right. Right. Like I get a, I've gotten some weird calls from Kansas city. Really? And threatening text messages. Yeah. Not, not that much. And it's been like well over a year. Hmm. I'm not really that nervous about this, but my whole thing is just like, who has the the time or the means to worry about this like 16 year old beef? But there is a small chance. I mean, this is these are serious people. I don't know. Wow. Damn. I, I also feel yeah. like it's probably if you're trying to become a promoter, it's probably bad business to shoot your stars or your people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. does that look bad? Another, he never did another show, that's for sure. Or Really? As, as far as I know, no. That's what it appears as. Yeah. I mean, their productions, uh, it was just a, a one and done type of deal. Wow. It's interesting to think of what his motivations would be and how maybe it backfired if he thought it was going to do something for him. Right. I mean, the thing that sticks out to me is like what you said earlier, like, why would this guy who had apparently lost money fork up over thousands of dollars in cash to do this? Like, what good would that do him unless his ego is that fragile? Like, it just doesn't that part just does not make sense to me. It doesn't really add up. And and I would be mortified if I somehow found out one day that Damon Whitmill had nothing to do with this. but I guess right now it's a good time to go through the the evidence that we do have or the so-called evidence against him that we do have, which is just, you know, dozens of jailhouse informants um, saying saying that they heard this story about yeah. Damon Whitmill and that, that he was like a, a drug dealer as well. Um, and this is all coming from jailhouse snitches. And it's important to note that the veracity of anything that comes from jailhouse snitches is not always reliable yeah because they want to get out they want to get out of jail they're trying they're trying to flip their information for for their own good um right but there were enough there was enough of them there to to make me think that this was you know that this was credible and this was a real thing that could have happened um and uh but we won't i mean we won't really know that <laughs> we won't really know the full truth and um damon whitmill is the biggest mystery to this day I, I mean another funny detail is he had his entire family working at the show wow. in order, right in order to cut down costs yeah he yeah. had his mom there like working at the, oh the 
like serving food, I believe, or something. Oh my god. Yeah. And this like a lot we... of these unsolved cases, I I agree with you that like we might not ever know. Yeah, this is what and we like do. that's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's just Absolutely. what it is. I mean, you can try to to find out the most. I mean, this is when my job doesn't feel like work for me, <laughs> is when I'm doing these kind of like cases and and trying to figure this stuff out and um but there's a lot of risk to doing it um yeah i had like there's been a lot of crazy things that have came out um from from the story and and one of the things that came out was one of the jailhouse snitches from my story um and i tried to reach out to anybody that i named in the story i i did my best possible you know it's hard because this is 16 year old stuff but one of them I got a call from their mom in Kansas City, and I, I I say the name of the jailhouse snitch in the story, and on retrospect, I might not have, um, just because it's in the documents and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But his mom called me and was scared and was like, yeah, my, my son is freaked out. Oh, no. Um, he's in prison right now, and he just heard about this story where he was, where, like, he was talking to the police um and like how could you put his name in the story and i didn't really know what to say other than like yeah i don't know it, it was tough uh she was basically like my son made one bad decision and was in prison this one time um and ended up talking to the police and now now this story's coming out and it's falling it's falling him around and i remember and then i looked up his name you know and I looked up his name and like put it through like the the system and and saw that he'd gone to prison more than that one time. <laughs> he'd like been oh, in trouble right. kind of a lot recently. So what she was saying wasn't fully true. Mm. Um, but I also did feel really bad. And if something bad were to happen to him because of this like one paragraph, you know, it wasn't that important. It was right. more of what he was saying was important because it, you know, it corroborated what other people had said right like name didn't necessarily need to be in it like i don't know you know it's been a learning experience and and with the story there's so many different names this is the most difficult part about reading it you know it's like yeah. trying to follow all of this so um it's been a learning experience and um i can't remember how i originally started talking about this but um <laughs> it's just been yeah it's been tough I feel like it's a it's a common thing where the investigators almost become part of the story, though, because you get so involved and you become friendly with the people involved in the case. Uh, I feel like I've read a bunch of true crime investigative books where that happens to the writer or investigator. Um, And when you're talking, you're kind of reminding me of my friend um, who we had on the show a while back, Tom O'Neill, who put out a book called Chaos. Yes, What's that? I love, I love Tom O'Neill. Okay. <laughs> well, when I, I go away with him every summer, like he comes with us on our family vacation. And when I'm talking to him, it remind you're reminding me of him because it's like this obsession. Uh, and maybe it's a singular obsession that you get from working on the case and he got from working on his case. Um, it's interesting to me because he definitely got involved in the story <laughs> like oh to an incredible so extent. Um, so it's just fun. I love hearing people talk about it. And I love, I love learning about people's obsessions. I mean, we talked about this on our Zodiac episode 
that's such a big part of that case is the investigators like killing themselves over like metaphorically speaking trying to uh, trying to solve this puzzle and getting so deep into it and even one of the journalists was like att- like someone attempted to frame him or something at one point. I don't remember. Oh right. What was who was that journalist? I think when he went down to um Riverside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like they became part of the case as well. Um but yeah Tom O'Neill is like such a good example of that. I should connect you guys. You yeah. absolutely have I literally emailed him before because I was I was so into chaos and I lived in LA like two years ago. Okay. Um, and I lived in uh Culver City it was very close to where i believe tom o'neill lives in venice <laughs> yeah he's in venice oh he's so in venice. he's a west side guy or maybe he's he might be a little more east now but uh he was for a long time because i used to work i used to transcribe for him just for the love of the game like it wasn't for Absolutely. money but i would want to hear the interviews with like bliosi and like whoever he was talking to and it was really fun. And I did some research for him and it was really fun to go to the library or go to a graveyard and look for gravestones, <laughs> like for someone like I never had heard of. Um, but yeah, he and going into his apartment was also crazy. Yes. He had so many documents and things on the wall and it just looked like an insane person's home. Like, <laughs> oh, I look up to him so much. I mean, oh, just cool. the of like chaos. Like it started as a magazine feature and then it ended up like ruining his life. For yeah. The next <laughs> yeah. And even in the end of the book, it's just like, yeah, and I don't really have the well, smoke. That's what's kind of interesting or... too. Talking to him about like, what do you do next? Right. Like, Cause you have spent your so, so many years doing this and he, he yeah, actually is doing stop. a documentary with Errol Morris that I think is coming out next year. Because wow. um, he was so obsessed, and obviously Errol Morris loves obsessed people as yeah. well. And um, it was really fun when I was with him this summer. We got to see some stuff, and I also because Leslie Van Houten got released while we were together, so he was oh, doing wow. all these phone interviews from like all over the world. <laughs> like people wanted to ask his opinion on it, so I was just like sitting there laughing, and he was like, "I'm trying not to say mean things you've said." about Patricia <laughs> and I'm like oh, sorry like <laughs> but I was like you know I have to be I'm so nosy like I love this stuff so having access to it is really fun yeah we need to have him back on the pod yeah we totally really need to have him back on he's like such like I only met him that one time back in like 2018 or yeah we interviewed him like first about his book before he it kind of exploded yeah um but yeah, it was really fun because he's a funny guy. That was such a funny interview because like my my cat, who's no longer with us, sadly, but she sat on top of his shoulders the entire interview. Like she was, my cat, Romy, was obsessed with Tom. She just sat right. and I was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, it's fine. Because he was like tipsy, first yeah. of all. <laughs> <laughs> so he was just well, like and I remember the microphone like this is back when like our setup was just not as good and we were like recording in my kitchen and I like remember like my fridge kept t- was really loud this is in my old place and it was like really janky and like so I was like embarrassed on that front I'm like we're having this oh, like he doesn't give a shit I know <laughs> I don't I know now but at the time yeah. I was like look at my shitty Hollywood apartment no. and like my cat is climbing on this guy and but he was so fun and he's very fun um but yeah, yeah i'll definitely we'll, hook you guys up like i said we'll we'll talk after the pod okay um, um okay let's ask some 
final thoughts? Some final questions <laughs> that are not related, but are okay. Are you a Mariners fan or a Giants fan? I'm gonna be I'm I'm gonna be a Mariners fan, but I'm more of a don't really give a shit. Um, okay, that's I'm a, much to a my guy. dad's much to my dad's dismay. He's a big What's, baseball guy. Is he? And he's a Mariners fan. That's why I'm ultimately gonna go Mariners. And I've actually yeah. seen, I've seen the Mariners play. Okay, um, yeah. So that's fair. I always ask people from Oregon because you guys don't have like an MLB team. I'm always curious, oh. like what teams do most people like up there the giants could you tell me this would the giants be cooler of me to like well What's the as, team? I, to her, her to, to me <laughs> obviously <laughs> i'm a lifelong giants fan even you know even though i've lived in la like almost as long as i lived in the bay area like i'm still die hard will be my entire my mom's a giants fan like but I think the Mariners are a respectable team to like. It is a respectable team to like. It's yeah. It's they're I have no beef with the Mariners. I I I don't I don't have any beef with them. So that's respectable yeah. to me. But I, I don't. I, yeah. I don't know if you're like what is it the Oregon Ducks? Is that hockey? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm like only a baseball head. That's my sports knowledge for other sports is so limited yeah it plummets yeah the ducks are the the football team for the football college football college okay there's a professional football team named the ducks because i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) college uh it's like yeah i never went to a single game no my my whole two years at the university of oregon yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, that's cool um, did you eat anything good this week? Did I eat anything good this week? <laughs> You're yes, in New York. I live in, I live in New York. There's a lot of good food here. I'm going to Chinatown tonight. Oh, hell yeah. To meet up with a friend, going to a place called Wang's, I believe. Mm. Um, and then yeah, I don't know. I definitely did. I've been eating pizza like every other day. That's good. That's good. And is it good? I just mentioned, I just like messaged my friend. I was like, is it cool to eat pizza like four times a week? Every other day? That's like a Cora question. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great Cora question. Everyone, he was like, yeah, honestly, it's totally fine. Yeah, I support it. We're um, pigs yeah, over I here. I really want to go to, um, I'm really, I really miss the Dresden. Oh, yeah. Dresden Wait, here Mall. in LA? Yeah. yeah, I really miss Fred 62's. Um, wow so you're like a, what is that hillhurst avenue guy yeah you're like you're <laughs> like you're missing los filas i'm missing los this is where I, yeah i'm missing jumbos jumbo we all miss jumbos miss, we all yeah. miss going i haven't been to jumbos in year i actually have <laughs> i actually have um a painting in our studio done by a former dancer at jumbos who was a childhood friend of mine and it's like a stripper dancing for sad clowns. And it mm. says Jumbo's Clown Room. Oh, it. wow. That's like, yeah. that amazing. Do you, Jum- do you know the rumor that David Lynch wrote um, all of like Blue Velvet while sitting in Jumbo's? I believe it. I know. Wow. I'm choosing to believe it. And I totally believe it. Yeah, it sounds very, yeah. Yeah. Next time I visit LA, Jumbo's on me. Okay, okay, hell yeah. I love jumbos. I, I yeah, I haven't been in forever. I'd love to go with you. Um what else? Do you have any other questions? 
I don't have any other questions. Do I you, mean, do I'm you, excited to see more. Uh, I am too. Stuff, and it's definitely a case that is intriguing to me. So I'm excited for more. Yeah. Yes. There's more story to be told. This is what I want to end on. I mean, the, I wasn't able to fully delve into this. Like the truth may be forever elusive, but we can get a little bit closer to it. Um, with, yeah. with right. There's so many phone records in the files that I got probably like a hundred pages of phone records. Oh, I'm wow. Like, I'm like too stupid to understand or go through. <laughs> I tried really hard, but yeah. that's something that I would love to like, you know, hand off to a team hand off to like yeah. a team of nerds yeah. who could yeah. really figure that one out. Um, but yeah, this story is definitely not not done being told, and especially the the story of like Hyphy, like the the full complete story. That's my dream project. Yes, telling the story of Hyphy through kind of like through the lens of the you know the true crime element, Mac Dre's death, getting people to 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 watch it, you know, getting eyes on it, and then kind of delving into to Hyphy from there, like, um, like how Hyphy started, and like sonically like about the music and then like the sideshows and absolutely have you ever been to a sideshow i've never been to a sideshow i've show. never been to a sideshow i've never been to a sideshow i want to go one time because they're notoriously dangerous the other and you know what i never for as drunk and high as i was during the hyphy movement i never like did any ghost riding um i knew you're gonna say that it breaks my heart i never did that um but i yes that Look, I was definitely <laughs> deep into the hyphy movement. It was like the peak of my um, drug and alcohol use. It, it happened like, you know, in the years before I got sober. I have very fond memory. Like I have such an emotional attachment to hyphy music for so many different reasons and just the movement in general. But no, yeah. I never ghost rided the whip ever, Yeah, which is which is fortunate because I probably would have killed myself. <laughs> probably would have fucking killed myself yeah, yeah. kill yourself with the car in neutral yeah i would have found a way <sighs> what else that's it for me that's it for yeah. me too thank I'm you really excited so much yeah thank you so much well, for coming on the pod so this has um, been the funnest mac dre podcast i've got to do so much love for you guys and, and yes and, well. let's Shout out the book again and the article. Yeah. Right? We'll put links. So Donnie's book is called Mac Dre, A Crime That Was Never Committed. And we will have a link to that in our show notes. As we will also have a link to the article from Passion of the Weiss. Yes, please. And um, for the for the book, it's available at uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble now. Okay. So I'm, you, you I'm use an Amazon link. link. Yeah. Do it to one of those links and... And yeah, thanks again so much. This has been great. What's your socials so people can follow you? Yeah. Yes, I'm on Twitter at, or sorry, um, x.com. We don't say x. We say <laughs> we Twitter. Say, okay. We we're refuse. house style. House style. Twitter. House, yeah. House style is Twitter. <laughs> house style is Twitter. I do formally, but you guys do. Okay. So <laughs> on Twitter, I'm um, at, I think it's, oh my God. I think it's. Donnie Morrison 26 at Donnie um, Morrison 26. We can link that too. Yeah. And you're definitely going to link that. And then <laughs> on Instagram, I'm the last known Taiga fan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who on, could on forget? As I've said before. <laughs> 
when I saw that was your Instagram name, I I burst out laughing. I was like, that's so funny. <laughs> I remember when Jeff Weiss, who published the piece, who's like one of the best writers in the world, um, yeah. best music writers um, in LA. You guys are probably familiar with his work. His I interviewed him about um, Sublime. Okay, one of, yeah. one of, one of our listeners wrote in and wanted to know the tea on the Sublime interview you did with him. Can you briefly explain what this was? Well, I was interviewing people about their obsession with Sublime for Mel and my friend, Josh Gondelman, I was looking for people and he's like, Oh, you have to interview Jeff. He's like a sublime super fan or whatever. (laughs) And a music writer. So I reached out to him and he was very nice to like be interviewed by me. uh, Cause obviously I'm a fool. (laughs) And it was like a very funny article. It's not, I don't do like, or I wasn't doing investigative journalism. It was just kind of fun stuff. And it was nice to have him because he was, I was interviewing a lot of fans, obviously, but he was sort of my serious music writer person. Yeah. But I also liked that he was actually a super fan as well. So, yeah. and then that magazine went under and I never ended up getting it published. That article didn't come out? No. <gasps> so I probably, I I think I wrote it, but I don't think That's it went out. That is yeah. devastating. I, mean, I got paid for it i think so ultimately who cares <laughs> kitty oh my god kitty she's so floofy she does look like she's part mancoon or like a norwegian forest cat yeah i think it's something like that i love her what's her name pookie pookie that's right named after uh, chris rock's character in king of new york <laughs> his first really? ever acting role um, that's but- really but yeah, Jeff Weiss is amazing. He's my favorite writer and a good friend now. Um, no one else would publish the Mac Dre story. Um, it, it took balls to publish that, and uh, yeah. nothing but the the best to, to say, um, the best words to say about him. That's for yeah. sure. That's great. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. This was an yes. Honor. Thank yeah, you thank guys. You. I hope to talk to you guys. So I, I visit LA to, to see Jeff and my friends there. And I would, I would love to um, get hit on. us up. Yeah. Let's, let's get dinner. Sure. If the let's stars see. align, we're getting dinner. We're going to, um, we're going to jumbos. <laughs> we're, going to fucking jumbos. <laughs> we're going to jumbos and we're going to eat. Yay. <laughs> that sounds great. I love that. Okay. Bye. Bye. Right, bye. We'll talk to you guys soon. Talk to you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.